You're listening to Comedy Central. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Daily Social Distancing Show. I'm Trevor Noah, and it is now week three of the protests against police brutality, month three of us staying inside because of coronavirus, and year three of me not eating dairy. Wait, is ice cream dairy? Anyway, on tonight's episode, Roy Wood Jr. solves racism, NASCAR crashes the Confederate flag, and how Canada can solve all of America's problems. So let's get into it. Welcome to the Daily Social Distancing Show. From Trevor's couch in New York City to your couch somewhere in the world, this is the Daily Social Distancing Show with Trevor Noah. Ears edition. Okay, first up, let's talk about some of the change that's taking place in America right now. In the weeks since protests began following the murder of George Floyd, the movement has been more successful than many people could have imagined. 53% of American voters now say that they support Black Lives Matter, when only two years ago, it was around 40%. Multiple major corporations in America have now said that they are actively going to diversify their workplace and hire black people who they've previously discriminated against for so long. And millions of white Americans are now desperately trying to find a second black friend. But one of the biggest shifts in America is something the country has been resisting for 155 years. Over at the Capitol, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi is calling for nearly a dozen Confederate statues to be removed from that building, saying they pay homage to hate. At a rally in Richmond, a statue of Confederate President Jefferson Davis was pulled down last night. The face smashed in before it was towed away in pieces. NASCAR's Bubba Wallace racing last night with the hashtag Black Lives Matter painted on his car. The race starting hours after NASCAR banned the Confederate flag. That was a huge pivotal moment for the sport. A lot of backlash, but it it creates doors and allows the community to come together as one. Yeah, from Congress all the way to NASCAR, all over the country, people are asking the question, is it finally time to let go of the Confederacy? And I think it's really impressive that NASCAR is doing this because the Confederate flag is extremely popular with a lot of their fans. In fact, just to soften the blow, here's maybe what they should do ban the fans from bringing the flag to the races, but then incorporate it into the race itself, you know? So like, if you win the race, they wave the checkered flag, and then for the loser, they wave the Confederate flag. Yeah, that way everybody wins. The one thing that does confuse me though is, why did Congress have Confederate statues in the first place? I mean, the Confederacy fought against America, so why would you have statues of them in America's Capitol building? It makes no sense. That's like white ladies having statues of gluten in their kitchen. And I'll show you a funny picture of what that would look like, but I still have no idea what gluten actually is. I mean, it's a little insane how it feels like the government treats actual traitors better than black citizens. George Floyd maybe had a $20 bill that was counterfeit. He gets choked to death. The president of the Confederacy was responsible for half a million dead Americans, and the response is, well, let's ask the quarry for the finest piece of marble. We gotta remember this guy. So more than 150 years after the Civil War, the winning side is finally deciding it doesn't need to keep celebrating the side that tried to destroy them. And one step that the Pentagon is considering is renaming military bases that are named after Confederate officers. You know, names like Fort Bragg in North Carolina, Fort Hood in Texas, and Fort Slave Catcher in Georgia. I don't even know how they let that one pass. But what's interesting is that while the military thinks that this symbolic move can help race relations in the ranks, 
The commander in tweet strongly disagrees. U.S. military leaders have expressed a willingness to discuss renaming bases named after Confederate generals. But tonight, President Trump says that won't happen, saying they are part of a great American heritage. In a tweet from the president, he writes, the United States of America trained and deployed our heroes on these hallowed grounds and won two world wars. Therefore, my administration will not even consider the renaming of magnificent and fabled military installations. You know, part of me thinks Trump is doing this because he's trying to appeal to his Confederate loving base. The other part of me thinks he's doing it because he thinks Fort Bragg is named after him. Never been humble, so powerful, I'm the best. They say that I brag better than everybody. But as usual, like, Trump's logic makes no sense. Because America didn't win World War II because of the names of those bases, right? America won World War II because Tom Hanks found Matt Damon. That was the turning point. Like, you can call the base whatever you want, It's not gonna determine how effectively your soldiers are gonna fight. America isn't gonna be losing to Russia in World War III like, we should have never renamed those bases! That was our secret weapon! And I, I, I know for some people this debate might seem inconsequential, but you gotta understand. The reason the military generals are open to changing the names of these bases is the same reason that NASCAR's doing it. They want the military to take a unified stand against racism. And they wanna show that the American military stands for all Americans, including the millions of minorities who have served within its ranks. Because take a second, just take a second, and imagine being a black soldier, training at a base that is named after somebody who didn't even think of you as a human being. That isn't just offensive to those soldiers, it's offensive to the Confederate generals too. Because I mean, imagine if they came back and so what was happening at a base that is named after them. My God, all of the slaves have guns. Now, Donald Trump isn't the only person who's trying to stand in the way of making progress. Because while states like New York are finally passing legislation that tries to stop police violence, those changes are being resisted by a very powerful force, the police unions. In fact, just listen to the head of the New York police union, Pat Lynch, lashing out at police reform. They're asking us to pull back. They're asking us to walk away from you. They're asking us to abandon our communities. They're asking me to walk away from where I live. They're asking me to walk away from where I work. They're asking us to walk away from the neighborhoods that we brought back. And that's what's happening. And you know what? We don't have a choice. If we put our hands on the criminal, you're going to jail. I'm not being dramatic. That's how bad it is. Okay, with all due respect, I I think you are being dramatic. No policeman is going to jail for touching somebody. This is almost like the police version of those guys during Me Too. Remember those guys who were like, so what, I can't even smile at a lady in the office anymore? I'll just cut my dick off now. We know that's coming next. Nobody's asking the police to abandon their communities. People are asking the police to treat all communities like it is their community. I mean, think about the fact that this guy even says, we can't even put our hands on a criminal. That's part of the problem. All too often in America, police treat everyone that they come across like a criminal, especially black people. And I'm not being dramatic. That's just how it is. Now, for those who don't know, Police unions fight for their members in the ways that all unions do. 
right? They organize for better pay and they organize for benefits. There are a lot of good things that come from having a police union, but they also protect members in ways that make it virtually impossible to hold bad cops accountable. They set the terms of internal investigations that accused cops can stonewall until the department has to give up. And then if a cop is found to be at fault, unions can put limits on the penalties so that even police chiefs who want to fire the officers who've done something wrong can't do it. And on top of all of that, there are even examples of police threatening not to do their jobs if politicians try to hold them accountable, which I'm sorry, is ridiculous. Can you imagine if nurses threaten to let patients die if they're not allowed to steal opioids and sell them on the side? No one would accept that. And so the question is, what can Americans do? If police unions are this powerful, what can people do? Well, for more on this, I'm joined by our very own union expert, Roy Wood Jr. What's going on, Roy? How you doing? What's up, man? How you been? Uh, well, I'm, I'm as good as I can be, and I'm assuming you've seen that video of Pat Lynch you know, the head of the, the, the New York police union. What, what did you make of the video? Yes, I saw Henry Winkler up there at the microphone doing this thing. Looked like Henry Winkler. I, I thought it was a Happy Days reboot. I was like, this is a terrible time to bring back this show. Also, sidebar, if, if you're a police union and you vote somebody to be the head of the police union, you probably shouldn't have them be named Pat Lynch. Also, big question, Trevor, where are the rest of the black people that are on this diverse police department? Look at this photo. That look like a 50-year reunion of a lacrosse team. Yeah, and, and Roy, another problem is that the police unions are now basically showing people what a powerful force they are. They're standing up against the reforms and, and they're so well organized that politicians are afraid of them. So, like, the question I have for you is, is there anything that can be done to weaken the influence they have See, 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 African, you're thinking about it wrong, man. See, here's the thing. Everybody is trying to make the police union weaker, when all you need to do is make a stronger union that's stronger than the police union. That's why I propose that all black people come together and we form a black people union. It's called the National Black Association. Wait, hold up. The NBA? Shit, man, I'll think of another name. Look, the point is, is that once this union is together, it brings together every black person in the country. And if you're black, you're automatically approved. It's the opposite of a home loan. Okay, fine. And then what happens once you have the black union? How does that help? Once we're organized, every year we'll make America negotiate a new deal with us. And with our strength in numbers, we can finally get our demands met hold cops accountable for misconduct, demilitarize the police, shift funding away from cops and towards schools and education, and while we're at it, rescue Kanye West from the sunken place. We need him back, man. Okay, look, Roy, that sounds like fair demands, but what if America and the black union can't agree on a deal? What happens then? Well, then black people will just have to take our talents elsewhere. Like when LeBron left Cleveland, only now it's black people leaving all of America. Does America really want that? Do you really want to be without black people? No sports, no music, no more dance moves. Y'all gonna be on TikTok doing the hokey pokey after we leave. Good luck going viral with that shit. I, I don't know, Roy. I don't know. If, if black people leave America, where will they go? We'll go anywhere. 
Maybe we'll go to one of them countries that doesn't have any police brutality. You know, Japan, there's, um, there's New Zealand, there's, um, what's, the, what's the white one? Norway. You can go to Norway. Well, you know what? I don't think we should go to Norway because I know winter up there is brutal. That's a whole different type of brutality to black people. So we'll just go to Japan. And by the way, when we do leave America, we'll get ourselves there. We don't need you offering no boat rides. We ain't falling for that no more. Uh-uh. Travel vouchers only. Now, if you'll excuse me, Trevor, I need to check on these 50,000 business cards that I ordered that said NBA on it. See if I can get those canceled. Hey, what's up, man? Yeah, I need you to cancel the order. All right, well, thank you, Roy. It's time for us to take a short break, but when we come back, we'll talk about a way to solve coronavirus, police brutality, and long voting lines like that. Don't go away. Welcome back to The Daily Social Distancing Show. You know, with states opening up and people protesting in the streets, a lot of the public feel like coronavirus is over. The only problem is nobody told coronavirus. America's COVID-19 pandemic has passed another terrible milestone. As of this morning, more than 2 million Americans have tested positive for the coronavirus. More than 112,000 of them have died. The head of Harvard's Global Health Institute said yesterday, the U.S. death toll could reach 200,000 in September. Earlier this week, 16 states reported an increase in average new COVID-19 cases compared to two weeks ago. At least 14 states have seen a rise in current hospitalizations since Memorial Day, including Texas, where hospitalizations jumped 42 percent. In Arizona, hospital capacity is at 83 percent. State data shows the usage of ventilators, ICU beds and intubations at all time highs. You know, I can't say this for certain because I'm not like a scientist, but I feel like coronavirus grew up with a father who never loved it because right now it's working really hard to prove itself. I mean, 200,000 deaths by September? Coronavirus is attacking America so hard, half of the country is gonna wanna put up a statue of it. And look, there are many reasons that Americans are taking the pandemic less seriously. But one of those reasons might be the fact that the people running the country barely seem to be thinking about it anymore at all. I mean, they haven't held a corona press conference to update the public in weeks. like. I don't know where the country officially stands. Do you? Huh? Are we winning? Are we losing? Can we go back outside? Can we sneeze on the buffet again? Like, what's happening? And it doesn't help that yesterday, just yesterday, the head of the coronavirus task force did this. Vice President Mike Pence has deleted his tweet showing campaign staff ditching coronavirus safety recommendations. He posted the tweet last night showing him with a large group of Trump re-election campaign staffers with no social distancing or face masks. That despite the fact that these are the recommendations of the coronavirus task force that is led by Pence. You see, this is the problem. How do you expect the public to take things seriously when you yourself are not taking it seriously? You tell people to wear masks, but then you're raw dogging the air. You tell people to social distance, but then you guys are crammed together like, like, uh, like those tiny fish, like the fish inside the, the, the can, the, um, God, the, the fish, you know the fish, they, they got the smell, the, the, ah, it's on the tip of my tongue. God damn it. The, anyway, you know what I'm talking about. Because it's clear to see America's battle against COVID, sardines. It was sardines. You're packed together in a room like sardines. Ah! Look, the point is, America's botched coronavirus response 
is just one of the reasons that 74% of Americans now feel like the country is on the wrong track. And I don't blame them. Police are beating up protesters in the streets. Millions of people are unemployed. And Georgia couldn't even hold a primary election without making people wait in lines for hours. Clearly, American democracy is failing. Which means there's only one thing to do. What if I told you about a country in crisis? A country ravaged by disease. Where the economy has collapsed. Where soldiers patrol the streets. A government gasses its own people. And the lines to vote are longer than the bathroom line at Coachella. Now, what if I told you that country is America? Black twist! That's the Shyamalan. Admit it. America is a failed state. America needs a return to democracy. And if it's one thing America knows, it's when a country needs democracy, you invade it. It's time for someone to invade the United States. Specifically, Canada. That's right. We're asking the good people of Canada to invade us. Please. Please. Please invade us. Please invade us. For the love of God. Wait, what do y'all pray to up there? Y'all pray to a moose? We're not asking for a donation. We're asking for an invasion. Some of our states are already basically Canadian. Uh, Minnesota, <laughs> Maine, the, the non-Detroit parts of Michigan. We're right next to you. Just invade us for the weekend and see if you like it. Come on. No new languages to learn. It's English, but with a slightly more normal accent. And to my fellow Americans, why would we not want Canada to invade us? We'll still have racism, but it'll be polite. Canadian racism with a smile. In Canada, we apologize for making fun of you so much. We're so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so, I'm, I'm so, y'all make it easy. We're just jealous of your functioning healthcare system, which, if you don't mind, bring that with you. <laughs> we did great under our last black president. We're willing to try yours. And on top of all that, I'm gonna f a Canadian. I want to f a Canadian. We, we want, want to, to Canadians. So if you agree that Canada should spread democracy to the United States, if you're ready to see Canada's military Zambonis roam the streets of our great nation, go to dailyshow.com slash invade us, sign the petition, and share with your friends. If enough of us ask and we do it politely, they can't say no. Come on, Canada. It's your time to shine. All right, when we come back, I'm going to be talking to legendary director Spike Lee about his critically acclaimed new film, the Five Bloods. Stick around. Welcome back to The Daily Social Distancing Show. Filmmaker and storyteller Spike Lee joined me earlier on the show to talk about his new Netflix film, The Five Bloods, and how it relates to what's happening in America today. Check it out. Spike Lee, welcome to The Daily Social Distancing Show. It's a pleasure spending time with you. And I, I said this off screen, but I want to say on camera. You are doing a great job. You are speaking truth to power and you're making a difference. You're making a Thank difference. You. Thank, Thank you. Thank you so much, my brother. I appreciate you. Thank Word you. Is Thank bond. you. Thank Word you. is bond. Word to the book. <laughs> True. Uh, but this interview is about you, man. Let's, 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 talk, let's talk to the great Spike Lee. Um, you've got a new movie that is, uh, is coming out on Netflix that I had the pleasure of watching last night. And um, it's interesting. I mean, the last time I spoke to you about a film, it was Black Klansman, right? And if you do me a favor, Spike, I'm gonna, I'm gonna direct you for a second. Could you pull back up just a little bit so I get more of you in frame? Thank you so much. That's fantastic. That's beautiful. 
I will so, take uh, directions uh, from you. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wanted to talk to you about, about, about how Spike Lee is making movies now and, and what you're doing with your platform. Because, you know, Black Klansman, so many people watched it. And for me, one of the moments I will never forget is the scene, the scenes that you played from the news, real life news at the end of the movie. And how, how what, what was happening in the movie connected with what we're experiencing today. You, you've done something really similar in The Five Bloods, you know, in that you, you've created a story that's, that's, that's you know, it's, it's a powerful story about black war veterans from the Vietnam War go- coming back together for a trip to go back to Vietnam, to reconnect as brothers, to go and, you know, pay, pay respect to somebody that they've lost but you've made the film tie into what's happening now. You've even got, you've even got some moments of today in that. Explain to me why you've chosen to do that. Well, I think that, uh, and also thank you for having me on the show. I think that people are more apt to enjoy an historical piece if in some way, shape or form, you could slip in what's happening now. And as you mentioned, we did that to end the Black Klansman, where we saw the murder of Heather Hare with that, that rally in Charlottesville. And it wasn't... The way the film came out had nothing to do with the timing. But there could not have been a better time for this film. Because I truly think that a lot of what's in the film... Is why people are marching all across this world chanting Black Lives Matter. And in many cases, those are black and brown faces yelling Black Lives Matter. Right. And, and that's a win right there. That's a win right there. So I really feel strong about this, that all this energy, all these different people that we're coming together, we come in, we're, we're becoming galvanized, particularly in the United States of America. We have to keep this energy, register to vote, vote, and celebrate when the numbers come in, like our brother Prince said, like it's 1999. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you, they're going to be some of the biggest parties ever. You've made films, Spike, that have captured the moment in America. So what I wanted to know was this. When, when you made The Five Bloods, every theme in the story connects to what's happening now. It's a story of four black men who served the American military during Vietnam. And what's really powerful is that they, they don't just face, you know, the struggles that all veterans face when they come back, but they have the compound suffering of being black as well. They come back to a country that's still racist. They come back to a country that still oppresses them, even though they fought for that country when they were called upon. That part of the story is, 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 is really strong. You know, it's not just a trip. It's not just a, a boy's trip movie. It's a movie that goes into the war. It goes into the experiences. It goes into their PTSD. That felt like, a, like, like something you were really trying to focus on in the film. Uh, wh- why was that so important for you to do? A very simple answer, my brother. Chadwick Boseman, who plays Stormy Norman, he tells him that the first person to die 
for the United States of America in the war, the American Revolutionary War, was a black man. 1770, there's a thing called the Boston Massacre. And a black man died, Crispus Attucks. So from the very beginning, we've been fighting for this country. From the very beginning, from the very beginning, we've been fighting for this country, as you said, that doesn't fight for us. We, we've been loving this country that doesn't love us. And so when this guy, Agent Orange, talks about our brother Colin Kaepernick not being patriotic, that's some BS. First of all, Colin, him kneeling, was, had nothing to do with blasting the armed forces or disgracing old glory, red, white, and blue. It's about the same thing that people are marching all across the streets in this world. Agent Orange also called black NFL players SOBs. He also said that refrain, refrain, which came really from the Vietnam War, which is told towards anti-war protesters, America, love it or leave it. First of all, you cannot tell any African-American, love it or leave it. We built this bitch. We built it. The foundation, I know some people might have heard me say this before, but bear with me. The foundation, United States of America, is the stealing of the land from the Native people and the genocide committed against them paired with slavery. That is the foundation of the United States of America. It's a fact. Boom! <laughs> before, I let, before, before I let you go, before I let you go, Spike, I, um, I wanted to ask you, I know this is a really controversial question and I need you to bear with me, but do you think the NBA stopping was the best thing that happened to the Knicks? <laughs> or, do you well, wish you were, or do you wish you were still there courtside? If you remember, because the whole thing blew up, I said, I'm not coming back to a game this regular season. <laughs> and I was pathetic. And now nobody's coming to a regular game, Spike. <laughs> oh, man. Thank you so much for joining me again. I, I truly, truly appreciate it. Um, continue doing what you're doing. And as always, it's an honor to have you on the show. And it's my honor. Like, let me just say this real quickly. We've never, ever had a meal or a drink. We got to do that. AC after Corona. I love that. We're here in New York, baby. Come on. AC, after Corona, me and you, Spike Lee, having a drink. All right, man. And we both know who's paying. I love you, Spike. Thank you so much again for that, Spike. When we come back, I'll be talking to actor Josh Gad about all of his new projects. Stay tuned. Welcome back to the Daily Social Distancing Show. Earlier today, I spoke with Tony-nominated actor Josh Gad. He stars in Artemis Fowl, which is gonna be premiering on Disney Plus, and He's also a star in the animated hit Central Park, which is on Apple TV+. We talked about those projects and about the YouTube series that he's created to raise hundreds of thousands of dollars for charity. 
Josh Gad. Welcome to the Daily Social Distancing Show, my friend. I'm so honored. I remember seeing you the first night you took over when John left, and you said to me, I can't wait to have you on. It's only been, what, five years since you've had me on? So this is what happened is, I remember I, remember I, t- I went home that night and I said to somebody, man, I saw Josh Gad and I invited him to the show. And the person said, you should only invite him at like a very special time in the world. Right. And I was like, okay, I'll wait for something really special to happen. They were like, you should, you should wait for a global pandemic and make That's sure- That's exactly what it is. He can't come to a studio, make sure that you guys are, are literally thousands of miles away from each other. And then- That's exactly it. On <laughs> But you're here now, my friend. Thank you very much for being here. I love um, you. I, I, I mean, this is such a strange time because like, like you say, I mean, it, you know, we've got protests in the streets, which you've been talking about. You know, you, you've been one of the people who's been most vocal about what's going on, like talking about Black Lives Matter showing support. We've, we've got coronavirus that's been going on, the pandemic. It must be a whirlwind for you emotionally because you've got the joy of some of these beautiful shows you've created, but then you've also got like the world stuck indoors watching your shows and then like, I guess, going outside protesting and then coming back and watching your shows again to calm down. It's all, it's all of the above. I mean, you, you are the case in point, like, right? Like you're doing the same thing. It's, it's a weird time to entertain. It's a weird time to do my job, which is uh, a, a pretty, uh, you know, in the scheme of things, pointless job, uh, or so I think, and, and all I can do since I'm not medically trained, since I, since I don't have much to offer on a professional level, is try to bring a little light and joy to the world. And, and, and that's what I'm trying to do. Maybe not great, but I'm trying to do it. You've always done that. I mean, whether it's been Book of Mormon, you know, whether it's been like your two weeks on The Daily Show, which a lot of people don't even know about, which, uh, <laughs> whether it, whether, you know, whether it was you as Olaf, I think you've always, as Josh, you've always been somebody who loves making people laugh. You love bringing joy to people's lives. And it's no different now. We've got three projects that I want to talk to you about. And so let's talk about the Disney Plus one first. Artemis Fowl, what is going on? It just looks like one of those epic franchises. Tell me about Artemis Fowl. Well, it is. It's based on a series of books by uh, author Owen Colfer, who who described the first book as Die Hard with Fairies, which was immediately like, what the hell is that? I need need to find out more about that. And uh, Kenneth Branagh, who directed me in Murder on the Orient Express, uh, was the director for this. And I was immediately drawn to the character who is this insane loner type. He is, uh, he's Hagrid by way of Han Solo. He's, mm-hmm. he's, he's sort of a mess. And then th- this whole story is about this 12 year old who is uh, a criminal mastermind. And I just thought that that was such a, a cool story. It was, it was so different than anything I'd read before. We've got Central Park as well. That's a lot of fun. I mean, you know, just from the, the, when the show kicks off with your character, with like your little, I don't know if it's a guitar, <laughs> ukulele, you know, you've got that fun little, just that opening number that, and, it, and it's, if you, if you live in New York, as I do, it's such a wonderful feeling because it really captures how just like, how crazy and diverse Central Park actually is. It's like everyone's home and nobody's home at the same time. Tell me a little bit about that animated musical comedy and how that came together. I'm so unbelievably pr- proud of Central Park. You know, I, I co-created it with Lauren Bouchard, the creator of Bob's Burgers, and we wanted to do a true musical. We wa- we wanted to create the same sort of feeling that uh, you you got if you saw Book of Mormon or that you got if you saw Frozen, things that I've done on the stage and on the big screen, but mm-hmm. never on the small screen. And it's a love letter to New York. It's a love letter to passion. 
It's a love letter to perseverance in the face of adversity with an insane cast. Leslie Odom Jr., David Diggs, uh, Catherine Hahn, Kristen Bell, Titus Burgess, and Stanley Tucci. It's like the, the Avengers of musical theater. Let me, let me ask you this question uh, about, about a project that you took on just, you know, of your own volition. Reunited Apart. You've got the show on YouTube. You know, everyone's stuck at home. Um, many people, like, their projects are just on hold, and that's that. But Josh Gad steps up and says, no, I'm gonna try my utmost to raise money. Raise money for organizations who are helping to feed kids. Raise money for organizations who are helping Americans who are out of work. Raise money to try and just help Americans help Americans. And the concept that you came up with is amazing. You, you are reuniting the costs of just blockbuster movies in time. First of all, where did you get the idea? Second of all, how on earth did you pull it together? I got the idea by being stuck at home and thinking to myself, Trevor's never gonna call. I'm never gonna be allowed to go to his studio. How do, where do I take that emotional um, <laughs> pain? And, and how do I circumvent that into something positive? And lo and behold, I came up with this idea of, uh, what would bring me so much joy? Uh, it's, you know, before I got on, you and I were talking about the fact that, like, some, it does something psychologically when you see your favorite cast doing lines again from your favorite movies. It, it yeah. just, it gives you a sense of, like, ah, uh, ah, uh, and I, whatever that is, whatever you call that thing. I think, and so I, 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 think that's, I think that's the action for euphoric joy. I think that's what that that's is. That's euphoric joy. Yes, yeah. that is it. It's sort of like a scoop up of your breastplate. So I, I really wanted to, to give people that. And in turn, what I hoped is that people would then donate if they can, what they can to help lift others up. So off of Lord of the Rings, we've been able to raise $145,000 for no kid hungry. And we continue to, um, to do that. Our next episode, uh, Ghostbusters is, uh, is set for Monday and we hope to raise a lot of money for, um, the equal justice initiative. And so I'm going to keep doing them to keep helping as many different causes as I can, uh, you know, knowing that uh, it may bring somebody somewhere a little bit of joy right now. Well, I'll tell you, my friend, you're not trying, you are doing it, as the great Spike Lee told me. So uh, keep doing what you are doing. And, um, you know, let's let's grab coffee sometime, my friend. Yeah, let's do, let's do this again in like six years. I can't wait to see you again. No, Josh, five years max. <laughs> Josh I love Gatt. you. You're killing it. Thank, Thank you. Thank you so much, my friend. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for that, Josh. Well, that's our show for tonight. But before we go, The Daily Show and Comedy Central have been donating to three groups who are fighting against police brutality and systemic racism. The NAACP Legal Defense Fund, the Equal Justice Initiative, and the Bail Project. Now, if you're able to help and you would like to join in, then please go to the following link and give whatever you can. Until next week, though, stay safe out there. The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, Ears Edition. Watch The Daily Show weeknights at 11, 10 Central on Comedy Central and the Comedy Central app. Watch full episodes and videos at thedailyshow.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And subscribe to The Daily Show on YouTube for exclusive content and more. This has been a Comedy Central podcast. 